play another. It's, we got five minutes yet, so I don't want to start if somebody's coming at the last moment. Today we again follow the order of service on page 15 in the front of your hymnal. Our opening hymn this morning is hymn 323, With Broken Heart and Contrite Sigh, hymn 323. Oh, 
I ask you to please stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Our health is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death, of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our psalm to her today is Psalm 111, and if you would look to the inside cover of your bulletin, uh, we will read it responsibly with the congregation, reading those verses in bold type. Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright, and in the congregation. The words of the Lord are great, sigh out by all of them, and have His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endureth forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works, that he may give them the heritage of the heathen. The works of his hands are verity and judgment. All his commandments are sure. They stand fast forever and ever, and are done in truth and uprightness. He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverent is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever.
Almighty God, that we who have celebrated the solemnities of the Lord's resurrection may, by the help of thy grace, bring forth the fruits thereof in our life and conversation. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. You may be seated. For our catechism lesson today, we continue looking at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. And we ask the question, or the question is asked, why may we be certain that our petitions in the Lord's Prayer are acceptable to him and heard? And the answer, because he himself has commanded us so to pray and has promised to hear us. So, for example, we many times pray, Lord, if it be your will, grant this or that. In these petitions in the Lord's Prayer, we already know it is the Lord's will. So we don't need to qualify it if it be your will. We know that this is the Lord's will. We know he will hear and answer our prayer. Why is it that many complain of their prayers not being heard? And it's because they ask foolish or hurtful things or prescribe to God the time and the manner in which he should help. Or because under the weight of tribulation, they do not at once observe the helping hand of God. We have an example of a somewhat foolish prayer in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, 
Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We are able. And he said unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared by my Father. Does then God really hear every proper prayer? And the answer, of course, is yes, but in his own manner and at his appointed time. For example, St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 had prayed that the Lord would remove a certain thorn in the flesh from him. And God's answer to him was, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so the Lord did not remove the thorn in the flesh, but he used it to his glory. Jesus said when he was asked to turn water into wine at the wedding in Cana, Mine hour is not yet come. And so there are some times that God has us wait for the right time for him to answer our prayer and grant our request. Isaiah 54, verses 7 through 8 says, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath, in a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. And so there are times that God indeed does make us wait. And there are times that he answers prayers in ways that, you know, we did not ask. I always think of Abraham's prayer uh, for Lot. Uh, when God said he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham knew Lot was living in Sodom. And Abraham talks, you know, will you destroy it for the sake of 50, if there are 50 righteous? And God says, no, I won't destroy it. And he goes all the way down to 10. Well, there weren't even 10 righteous in the city of Sodom. And God did rain down fire and brimstone. But what did he do? He still answered Abraham's prayer. But he did so by having the angels go there and take Lot and his daughters and his wife outside the city. Of course, his wife turned back and so was turned into a pillar of salt. But God still answered Abraham's prayer, but in a way different than Abraham expected. And so also with us. God answers our prayers, but not always in the way that we expect. And a wise prayer, especially when we're praying about earthly things, is to pray that if it be God's will, because he knows what is good and best for us, and we often do not. Our epistle lesson for today is recorded in 1 John chapter 5, beginning at the fourth verse. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. 
and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things I have written unto you, that ye believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. I ask you to please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The gospel lesson appointed for today is recorded in St. John's Gospel, in chapter 20, beginning at the 19th verse. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Unless I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days the disciples were again within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing he might have life through his name. Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. Today we join in confessing our faith, and we will do so today in the words of the Apostles' Creed, so you'll have to turn back in your hymnal to the top of page 12, and we will use the Apostles' Creed. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We continue. It may be odd to tell you to sit down when the German from the hymn is Erstanden, which deals with standing up. Uh, however, uh, you, you may remain seated if you like, or you may stand if you like. But we will sing hymn 198. He's risen, he's risen, Christ Jesus the Lord.
Again, I ask you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again we pray your Holy Spirit's blessing upon both the speaking and the hearing of your word this day. That we might be strengthened in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That we might acknowledge our confess and confess our utter sinfulness. But look to our Lord Jesus, his death, his resurrection, for the assurance of forgiveness and life through faith in his name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of God, which we consider today, is from our gospel lesson read to you a few minutes ago. From St. John's Gospel in chapter 20, verses 19, or really verses 21 through 23. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. We know from the scriptures, we know from the passages that we've considered over the last weeks, both during our Lenten services and on Sundays, that our Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled all that the scriptures demanded of him. He lived a perfect and holy life. He kept all of God's commandments, not just outwardly, but inwardly in his thoughts, his desires, and his words, and his actions. He fulfilled all perfectly and without sin. And then he took your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world upon himself, and he willingly went to the cross and there was crucified. And aside from the excruciating pain and suffering associated with crucifixion, he bore there on the cross the weight and the guilt of the sins of the world. He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he was actually forsaken and condemned by God the Father there upon the cross as he paid the price for your sins and mine. Our passage for today comes after he had completed his sufferings and death for sin and he was risen again and he appeared to his disciples and he said to them, as my father has sent me, even so send I you. And if you think about that passage for just a minute, the father sent the son into the world in order to redeem the world, to preach the truth, in order to redeem the world by his holy life and innocent sufferings and death, his glorious resurrection. And now in the same way, Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world that they might carry the message, the gospel, the good news that atonement has been made, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness and there is everlasting life instead of condemnation and eternal punishment in hell. Jesus gave to his disciples the Holy Spirit and a task to carry out. As we read in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, they were to, he breathed on them and gave them his Holy Spirit, and then they were to preach repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name 
among all nations, among all the peoples of this world. And they were to begin right where they were in Jerusalem. And God's called ministers today are still sent to do the same thing. They are to forgive the sins of those who repent and look to the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross in faith. And they are to retain the sins of those who do not repent and do not trust in Christ for forgiveness and life. They are to preach to people in such a way so that they realize their utter sinfulness and that they stand condemned before God on the basis of their own life and works. And then they're to point them to Jesus and his cross that they might see that there is a way in which they can have God's mercy and forgiveness and in which instead of hell, eternal suffering there, they can have everlasting life in God's kingdom. And so pastors are sent today to preach repentance and remission of sins in Jesus' name to forgive the sins of those who acknowledge their sinfulness and look to Christ for forgiveness, but to retain the sins of those who remain impenitent, who refuse to acknowledge their sinfulness and who turn away from Christ and his cross. Jesus, of course, is not here giving to any individual person or even to any church the power to forgive and retain sins according to their own whims or liking. How thankful you can be that God has not given to me the power to forgive the sins of those that I may like and consider close friends. And if there would be something about you I didn't like, although I can't say that about anybody here, you know, I could say, well, I'm not going to forgive you. Pastors and ministers are called to faithfully apply God's word to people so that all who remain impenitent and unbelieving, they must announce to them, you don't have forgiveness. You are headed for hell. But to those who acknowledge their utter sinfulness and, and trust in Christ, the pastors to proclaim to them, indeed, Christ paid for your sins. In him you have forgiveness. In him you have everlasting life. The pastor gives to them the comfort of the gospel. So many passages that we can look at here. I've got a lot underlined, but I probably won't go through them all. We may have a long sermon today. I think of the words of our Lord Jesus in John chapter 8. He was speaking to the religious leaders of the Jews. And he said in verse 24, I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. What was our Lord Jesus doing? He was retaining the sins of the impenitent religious rulers among the Jews who did not acknowledge their utter sinfulness and were not looking to Jesus as the Messiah and Savior, their only hope. And so he had to announce to them, you're going to die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, the result is God's eternal punishment, eternal suffering away from the presence of God. But there are other examples in the scriptures. Just a little bit earlier in that same 
chapter, we read about the Pharisees bringing to Jesus a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, testing him, that they might have cause to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up, lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they who heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. If you think about that passage, who would have been justified to pick up a stone and throw it? He that hath no sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Jesus was the one who was without sin, who could justly have demanded that this woman be put to death for her sin. Why the man was not brought, if she was caught in the very act, I do not know. But he said, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And so here our Lord Jesus Christ forgave the sin of this penitent woman, but also cautioned her to go and sin no more. And so also pastors and preachers today forgive the sins of the penitent, but they also warn them this is not a license to go out and continue in sin. Go and sin no more. And so we see here Jesus doing exactly what he commissioned his disciples to do, exactly what pastors do for churches today. And it's really exactly what each of us do as individual Christians in our dealings with other people. If they confess their sins, they acknowledge their sinfulness and look to Christ, we give them the assurance of scriptures that they have forgiveness. If they think that they're good and righteous but on the basis of their own works, or they reject Christ, we have to tell them, you're going to die in your sins. You're going to stand before the Almighty God guilty, and you're going to be condemned. Because unless you acknowledge your sins and look to Christ, there is no other way of salvation. It's also true that when God's ministers rightly apply and proclaim God's word and counsel, when they forgive the sins of the penitent and retain the sins of the impenitent, as our catechism says, their words are as certain and true as if God himself had spoken them from his throne in heaven. If you look at how Luther explains that in the office of the keys. Now, why is it true? Is it because I'm a called and ordained servant? Or is it because I am rightly applying the word of God to you? And, of course, the same couldn't apply to an individual Christian. If we rightly apply God's word to us, we are simply saying what God himself says. 
And so it is God's word, his judgment. If we don't rightly apply the word of God, then we are false prophets. We are misleading. We're either giving false comfort or false condemnation. But we are to retain the sins of the impenitent and forgive the sins of the penitent. We might ask, well, what is genuine repentance? It's not simply going through the motions, as we talked about this morning. It's not simply, you know, coming to church every morning, and then we have the confession of sins at the beginning of our service. The preacher says the absolution, and then, well, we can go out and sin all week, and we'll come back and do it all over again next Sunday, and it'll all be okay. It might sound a little facetious, but what if you die before next Sunday? Certainly, that is not true repentance. True repentance is to have godly sorrow over your sins, to realize that what God says is indeed true and right. That what God says about our sins is the truth. And it is then to look to Christ in faith and receive forgiveness, and where there is true repentance, there will also be fruits of repentance. I won't read it again now, but I read it to you in Bible class this morning. You know, right after it says that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The very next verse starts to point out, well, how do we recognize true Christians? Those who keep God's commandments. Those who do what Jesus said to do. Because... If there's no effort made to live according to God's word after you confess your sins, are you really sorry for them? Somewhere here I brought along my catechism, which is getting a little bit worn. But in the 1943 catechism, there's a question about dealing with examining ourselves before coming to the Lord's Supper. And I just think it's such an excellent question. We should examine ourselves to see whether we truly repent of our sins. That's A. B, whether we believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And C, whether we have the good and earnest purpose with the aid of God the Holy Spirit, henceforth to amend our sinful lives. I've often told catechism, our catechumens, you know, C is kind of a test question. See if you're being honest about A and B. Because if you are truly sorry for your sins, you realize they're wrong, they offend God, and they make you guilty of his wrath and punishment, and you truly believe in Jesus Christ, are you want to go, going to want to go on doing the same sinful things? Or are you going to, with the help and aid of God the Holy Spirit, seek to amend your lives? Not that you're going to be perfect, not that you're going to always overcome every temptation but if there's no effort if there's no evidence then it's just an outward motion i think of the words of john the baptist to those who came to him from among the jews to be baptized he said who warned you to flee from the wrath to come therefore bring forth fruits meet or worthy of repentance and don't say we're children of abraham and therefore all is okay you like us saying, well, you know, we're children of Luther or descendants of Luther. 
and therefore everything is all right. It's not. Not unless we repent and look to the Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Plenty of other examples in the Bible. If you look at Psalm 51 and read through this sometime, you see that David confessed his sin. But he said God didn't desire just the outward sacrifice. If that's what God wanted, David said, I would give it. What God desires is a truly contrite heart, one that is truly sorry and looks to God for mercy and forgiveness. And to that person, God shows mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so our God would have us live each day in continual repentance. We talk about that in dealing with, in our study of baptism, you know, how do we continue in our baptism by each day drowning the old Adam, that the new man may come forth and arise. We do that by confessing our sins and looking to Christ for forgiveness, seeking his help and strength to live for our Lord God. And I know I have shared this with you many times before, but one of my favorite psalm verses is in Psalm 139. At the very end where David prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. A true Christian, one who is truly penitent, can pray this prayer. Can ask God to actually search our hearts and test our hearts and reveal to us through the Holy Scriptures any evil or sinful way in us that we might repent and look to Christ for forgiveness and seek to amend that. One who is not penitent says, no, no, God, don't let your light shine into my heart because I don't want you to see or reveal all that's there. And again, if we hide and cover up our sins, as David says in Psalm 32, the Lord's hand is heavy upon us. But when we confess our sins, he is merciful to us. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My favorite passage in 1 John, I think, is even made a little bit more clear in the Greek. But in 1 John, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Greek really gives us the sense of what it is to confess. I mean, you can figure it out from the, the English word, from the Latin. Con is together with. Fes comes from fessio, I believe it is, which is to state or to say. And so it's to say the same thing with God. In the Greek, it is homo logeo. Homo is the same. Logeo is to speak the same thing. And so what it's saying here is if we agree with God, what God's word says about our utter sinfulness, God is faithful and just. He will forgive us for all unrighteousness. If we don't agree with God, if we say, oh, that's not that bad or it's no big deal, we try to hide and cover it up, we are keeping ourselves from the mercy and forgiveness which the Lord God just wants to give to us in our Lord Jesus. I ask you today, are you 
genuinely repentant or penitent? If so, if you are sorry for your sins, you agree with what the Bible says about your sinfulness, and you look to Jesus Christ and his cross and all he did there, and believe him when he said, it is finished, you have forgiveness for all your sins and a place in God's everlasting kingdom. When you stand before Christ on the last day, your sins are not going to be brought up and held against you. They are forgiven. They've been punished there in the cross of Christ. But if you don't agree with God, if you hide them, cover them up, or remain impenitent, then it is my sad duty to tell you that when you stand before our Lord Jesus Christ on the last day, those sins will be brought up against you. And you will stand condemned to eternal punishment in hell. And so, of course, as the scripture says, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to look to the cross of Jesus and to hold on to that cross until we're with our Lord. God grant that all of us be penitent and look to our Lord Jesus Christ for mercy and forgiveness because that is the only place we can obtain God's mercy and grace. Amen. I ask you to please stand. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You may be seated.
I invite you to please stand and join the prayers of the church. Let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Lord God, fill your people with rejoicing in the resurrection of your Son, that we would tremble no longer before the grave or be filled with doubts, but rejoice and live in the truth of your resurrection and your power to save. Lord, in your mercy. Be with Bishop Heiser and all our pastors. Keep them faithful in delivering to your people the true gospel of your son's death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. Let us hold fast to the word preached to us, that receiving it with joy and holding fast to its truths, we may be saved. Hinder all who would sow doubt in our hearts, or grant us the courage, and grant us the courage to confess the truth of your word in our life and conversation. Lord, in your mercy. Bless our president, our governor, and all who make and administer our laws. Frustrate the forces of evil, and do not let our leaders cooperate with them or further their goals. Guard our armed forces and police as they stand watch for us at home and abroad. Let them serve with honor and integrity. Lord, in your mercy. Have mercy on the sick and those in any need. We remember especially today Dick Rush and Dick Stulen, as well as Janet Rush. Let the drawing light, excuse me, let the dawning light of the new creation in Christ sustain them in faith in accord with your will. Grant them renewed health, a foretaste of their eternal healing in him. Lord, in your mercy. Give us joy in your son's covenant of grace as he shares it with us from this altar. In the eating of his holy body and the drinking of his precious blood, grant to us through faith forgiveness for all our sins and the certain hope of everlasting life for the sake of his death in our stead and his glorious resurrection. Lord, in your mercy, comfort those who mourn with the truth of Christ's empty tomb that in the midst of their grief they may abide in the hope of his resurrection. Uphold them in faith as they await the day when you will wipe away every tear from our faces. Lord, in your mercy. We join today with countless angels and with all those in heaven who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb in singing eternal alleluias. And we bring these petitions before you, dear Father, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our worship by singing our communion hymn, hymn number 314, Lord Jesus Christ, we humbly pray.
I ask you to please stand. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. It is truly meet, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks unto thee, O Lord, Holy Father, almighty, everlasting God. But chiefly are we bound to praise thee for the glorious resurrection of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. For he is the very Paschal Lamb which was offered for us and hath taken away the sins of the world, who by his death hath destroyed death, and by his rising to life again, hath restored to us everlasting life. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name, evermore praising thee and saying, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. This do as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me.
The peace of the Lord be with you always. Very often, you never know. The Lord bless you and do it. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given to death for all your sins. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given to death for all your sins. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, shed for the remission of all your sins.
I ask you to please stand. Now may this holy body and precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you the true faith unto life everlasting. Depart in peace, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you for Jesus' sake. unto the Lord, for he is good. We give thanks to the Almighty God that thou hast refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we beseech thee that of thy mercy thou wouldst strengthen us through the same in faith toward thee and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. The Lord be with you. Bless we the Lord. Receive now the benediction of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. You may be seated. We close it by singing, I know that my Redeemer lives, hymn 200.
A welcome to all of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The announcements are at the back of the bulletin. Uh, we will try again for our Bible study. I don't know if I may have done something wrong anyway. It seems that no one found it on Wednesday except for Lonnie. And we could hear each other across the house, so uh, we figured we didn't need to do it online after no one else joined. So we, we will continue uh, that uh, this Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, and I'll try to send out the links in a different way so everybody gets them. Again, our next potluck dinner and voters' assembly is Sunday, May 1. Next second Saturday brunch, Bible study is 11 a.m. on Saturday, May 14th. Any other announcements this morning? One thing I did learn this morning during the first hymn well, it was a reminder. I know why everybody in Lutheran churches sits towards the back, because we're all emulating uh, the publican in the temple who would not even approach, but stayed in the back and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So that may be, may be the reason. Either they're afraid to get too close to the pastor. I'm not sure. Uh, again, God's richest blessings to all of you and your Lord Jesus. Thank you.